Well, this morning is our celebration Sunday. We're receiving the first fruits of the pledges that we've made throughout the last couple of months. We've been through a long process. We're in this unique time in the life of the church. It's a really exciting time. Um, it has been a pleasure to, uh, to walk through these days. I thought I would dread this campaign. And uh, God has again and again uh, said to me, Oh, ye of little faith. Uh, and showed me as we trust in him and follow him and do what we feel that is right, that uh, God is with us. And so we come to this celebration day. Uh, once again, I want to uh, say a word of thanks to our campaign team. There were quite a number of folks who put in uh, innumerable hours behind the scene to guide us to, to this day as we begin to give the first fruits and press ahead. Um, the next campaign, we set three goals. We said we, uh, 800000 which represents one times our budget. If over the next three years we could give over and above at least one times what we give in a year, we would meet our low goal. Uh, we said it, at 1.2 would be our mid-range goal. That would be a stretch. It would be one and a half times what we normally give. And we set 1.6 as uh, our, our stretch goal that we would give in three years two times more than we are giving in a year, over and above what we're already giving. The amount, and this is where you wish you did have a drum set. Um, I have no rhythm. The amount that God has brought in over these uh, weeks is 1454134 Praise God. With all of our hearts, praise God. $1.45 million. Now, of course, the project is $4 million in the first phase. Uh, but the good news is we are under contract to sell this building. They have 60 days to inspect it, 90 days to get their financing in order. So I ask you to continue to pray as still a, a, a large portion of what needs to come in, that God would uh, bring us through the inspection and be able to meet the inspection and whatever, whatever arises from that, and praying for the church that is buying this building, asking God to sell their building, uh, but also that God would raise their finances and, and provide the funding and the financing that they need to press ahead. And that serves both them and us uh, and the church that would buy their building. It's one of those domino so continue to pray that those would happen. Between those two pieces, what we have raised and what we can sell our church for, we come very close to just under $3 million. So we are pretty close. We would have to finance just uh, a, a little over a million, I think. And, Lord, th- these numbers are rough. The, the architects are working on that detailed plan that puts numbers to things and we will know where we stand and what we can afford Uh, But our hope is as our church grows, we have a new members class here in a couple of weeks. If you're visiting with us this morning and been been visiting, I'd encourage you to come, at least learn about the church and who we are and where we're going. Uh, But also there are a number, we've already got over a dozen people signed up to come. Uh, I would encourage you to sign up and come. But as our church grows, we would invite people to join into uh, what we are already doing. And I believe that that million plus dollars that we have to borrow over the next couple years as God blesses and grows us, and people join with us, that will dwindle. And as we move toward being on the property, uh, that we will be ready to start building a sanctuary and uh, press ahead into the next stage of all of that. So 
Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. We're in a good place by his grace as we look ahead. Uh, This morning, I'm starting the first of a four-part series to talk about God's word. Um, It is a need I'm sensing in my own life as I have uh, wrestled with my own times with God and feeling the need to be in his word and knowing its power. And as I've thought about it and delved in, I thought I'm going to spend just a few weeks together as we lead up to Thanksgiving where God says we shall not live by bread or turkey alone, but but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God that we will talk about his word and feasting on that over the next several weeks leading up to Thanksgiving. This morning we're in a very familiar passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, and great portions of this will be very familiar to you, but we, as as we always do, seek that God would speak it into our lives afresh and with power, and that we would have ears to hear what he wants to say to us. Starting then, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, hear the word of God. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All of the scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete and equipped for every good work. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that lives and is true and is breathed out from your very mouth, given and spoken to us with power for teaching and reproving and correcting and training in righteousness, completing us and equipping us. Come, Father, and speak to us again of this word, that we might love it and that we might feast upon it. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. He tells Timothy in verse 14, to continue, to continue in the word that you have learned, that you've already believed. You know where you heard it. You've known it from childhood. It's childhood. It is the sacred writings, he says, writings that speak of Christ, right? Because he says these scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. So even though he's speaking of Old Testament scriptures, Jesus says all these scriptures speak of me. And they lead you to faith in me. And so Paul tells Timothy, a struggling young pastor, to continue in what he has learned, continue in what he's believed. This word continue is the same word that we use, is used in John 17, to remain, to abide. Jesus says, abide in me, abide in my word, and you will bear much fruit. So he says to remain in it, stay in it, abide in it, hold fast to this word that you have learned You have believed, trust in the scriptures. And he contrasts it. It's a contrast, as he says in 14, to continue. He contrasts it really with what he said in verse 13, which he speaks of these these people who are evil people and imposters who go on from worse to worse, from bad to worse, 
being deceived and deceiving lies. The opposite of the truth. The opposite of the word that makes you wise to salvation. The truth, they're being deceived. That is, they come under the lies and they are deceiving. So, and they're imposters, he says. Imposters mean they're not true believers in this context. It's those who follow Christ and love his word, who know God and honor his word. And those who go on from that to being deceived, deceived things, lies, outside of God's word. And so they're imposters, right? Not true believers, not true followers of Christ because they do not follow his word. To follow Jesus is to know him, love him, and obey his word. So they go on. And going on from God's word, they go on from bad to worse into lies and deception. They don't stay. They don't continue. They don't hold fast, deceived and deceiving. They perpetuate the lies as they pass them on and articulate them. What do you think? And then they articulate what they think. And they strayed from the truth of God's word. Without a regular diet of the truth, And this is the people in 13, and and it's where we will end up without a regular diet of the truth. We are vulnerable to believing lies. They say the best way to know and recognize counterfeit bills is to know a true bill, to know the truth. And the more to, to, to study, to recognize counterfeits, you don't study counterfeits. They come in many various shapes and sizes in different counterfeiters. But if you study the truth, if you know the true thing, you can recognize the lies, the deception. When we become vulnerable, when we don't have a regular diet of His truth, when we don't go on in the Word. See, you and I live in a time of great confusion in our country. Perhaps the greatest moment of confusion that our country has really experienced since its founding. That there is more plurality, so to speak, in the way that we see the world, in the way that we understand truth, in the way that we understand morality, in the way that we understand what is right and wrong in terms of living. There is more, in a sense, variety, in the sense, not that those ideas weren't always there, but the consensus has frayed. And those who hold the more biblical worldview have become the minority report. We have shared a biblical worldview of truth and morality, but our culture has gone on. And as it goes on, it goes from bad to worse. And it is deceived, and as it's deceived, it is deceiving, and it's propagating lies in the midst of our culture and our world. And what we are left with when we move on and we go on from the scriptures and we go on from a biblical worldview, what we go on to is infinite number of opinions. When you have left a rock or some objective standard on which to stand and to compare our ideas and to subject our ideas, we, we go from having something solid on which to stand and keeps us both accountable in our ideas to an infinite number of opinions, each as good as the last or the next. And so we live in a great time of confusion where there are different opinions about, opinions about everything. Confusing opinions, contradictory opinions about who God is and what he desires and what he is like and what he does and what he's going to do. Different opinions about what pleases him in the way that we live and the way that we express our lives, our sexuality and everything else. How can finite 
created human beings figure out an infinite, uncreated deity? How can we figure out what he thinks? How can we figure out what pleases him? What honors him? How can we figure out what he doesn't like? Because it is contrary to his nature as the God who made all things. How do we know these things? How can we figure out the thoughts of God? How can we know his mind? Can any of us sit down and in the quiet of a darkened room, think your way to the mind of God? Think your way to his will and to his ways. You know, I actually had this conversation with a liberal pastor. I was working with InterVarsity. He's actually a Presbyterian minister of another denomination. And he called me, for the first time in my life, a bible oliter, which is a fancy way of calling me an idolater, and the thing which I worship is the Bible. And it's a way of saying that you take the Bible too seriously, that you give it too much power in your life. This is a minister. And telling me, and I will say, well, this is God's word. He has sp- speaks into our lives. This is how we know what is true. This is what shapes our worldview. This is how we know who we are, who he is. And this is how we get everything. And he said, well, what about prayer? What about our feelings? My only response to him was, okay, I hear you, because this is what we see. This is what we're dealing with, my friends. When you go on from God's word to seeking, you're going to sit and and." Think your way into the mind of God or feel your way into the mind of God. You know, my only answer was, as you sit and think your way there and feel your way there, and you come up with what you come up with. And so, basically, then when you come to God's Word, you decide which parts of it are true and which parts aren't, which parts are applicable, which parts aren't, which parts are gone, and which parts we're still going to, you know, take seriously. And you do that. I say, who's God now? We live in a very confusing time when we unmoor the boat and set it adrift in a sea of opinions. We all have opinions, each as good as the next. But if we have no sure word from God, we are deceived and deceiving, adrift. But you, Timothy... But you, Timothy, you people of God, you followers of Jesus Christ, you continue in the word. Continue, abide in the truth of the word. Those things which you have believed from your youth that was passed down to us. Paul says in verse 16, as he tells Timothy to continue in these things that are able to make him wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. And he says, because all scripture, verse 16, is been breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training and righteousness. It's all been breathed out by God. It came, what does that mean? It's breathed out from God. Where does our breath come from? It comes from the mouth, right? In, in other words, all, all scripture, he says, was breathed out of the mouth of God. It came from his mouth. It's what I'm doing right now. That's how we talk. I have to take a breath so I can breathe out words, which go over the vocal cords and make sounds. And, but it's all by breath that it is done. We, these, all of my words have been breathed out of my mouth in speaking. Paul is reminding Timothy, 
We have a God who speaks. We have a God who is not silent. We are not left adrift in a sea of opinions. We don't have to wonder about what God is like. We don't have to wonder about what what his purpose in making the world was. We don't have to wonder and and scrape around the various conflicting opinions of then what is right and true and good. We don't have to wonder. God speaks. He has spoken. He is not silent. He has spoken to us in the scripture. They are breathed out. That's one word, breathed out by God, is one word in the Greek, theopneuso. Uh, <laughs> no, I messed it up in there. It means literally God breathed, right? Two compound things brought together to say it came from his mouth. 2 Peter 1.21, it's there in your bulletin under the second point. It says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God. And he says, all prophecy, there was no prophecy given. He's speaking again of the Old Testament and, and the Word of God. No, none of it was given, he says, by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, when the Bible writer speaks... God is speaking by the Spirit, right? When the Bible writer speaks, they're speaking from God, carried along by His Spirit. They speak, God is speaking by His Spirit. Acts one twenty one. it's here in your bulletin again. Peter, I believe it says, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David. Think about that word. The Scripture had to be fulfilled. God does not lie, and it must be fulfilled in its fullness. It must be fulfilled that which the Holy Spirit spoke. So he's ascribing, and this is the view of all of the New Testament writers to the Old Testament. This is the view of Jesus and all of the New Testament writers to the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of David, through the mouth of Elijah, through the mouth of Daniel, through the mouth of the prophets, whether they got a book or not, but he spoke through the prophets and he spoke into existence a word that is true and sure. It was the mouth of man, but it was the Holy Spirit who spoke. It was God who spoke. And we know that he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures here. The New Testament doesn't exist yet. Paul's letters are not canonized into part of it yet. But I want to give just a couple of moments to say that this applies as much what Paul is saying about scripture being God-breathed and is useful, therefore authoritative and practical and useful and beneficial in all these different ways because it is God's word, God-breathed, that it applies to the New Testament as much as the Old. Let me just bump down a few scriptures here and talk about some of their implications. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it's there in your bulletin. It says, in the past, God spoke. And he did it, how? To our forefathers through the prophets. Again, the Old Testament, God spoke it. Through the prophets, yes. But it is his word delivered to us through the power and agency of the Holy Spirit working in the prophets at many times, and in various ways. The Old Testament is a book written over a long period of time from a number of different men in a number of different circumstances. He says all of this, God speaking in all these various times and ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Where do you know one word that Jesus has spoken? 
if he is speaking to us by his son, as one of the last of the prophets, then his words captured for us, the words and deeds of the son captured for us in the New Testament. I often say the Old Testament demands a New Testament. Right? God has spoken through the prophets, but now he speaks through his son because prophecy demands fulfillment. Promise requires completion. All of that stuff that God said and typified and prophesied and promised needs fulfillment. And he says, and it has come in these new days, in these recent days, he speaks in his son, in the words and the deeds of the son, which are captured by the gospel writers in recording his life, his words and his deeds, and the rest of the writers of the New Testament like Paul, as they unpack and help us to understand that life, interpret that life, apply that life theologically. And as God gives us a New Testament. And I would say that he does it through Jesus and the apostles. If you see in John 14, there, 10, there in front of you, Jesus saw his own teaching as authoritative. He said, the words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. They're not just my words. They don't just carry my weight. It's not just Jesus the man. But the Father who dwells in me does his work. Right, So it is the Father, as the prophets were carried along of old by the work and power of the Holy Spirit. The Father is at work in the Son, is a fulfillment of all things Old Testament. And Jesus says that they, these new deeds and words come with the authority of the Father. He says it again and again and again. Jesus provided for the writing of the New Testament. He did it by appointing 12 apostles who would be with him. They walked with him, ate with him, slate with slept near him, you know, shared camp with him, shared meals with him, and talked with him. They were with him. And Jesus promised them as he was leaving that they would have an ongoing inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring forth the truth of his life and ministry. Right, John 14, 26, it's in the upper room. Jesus is teaching his disciples, preparing them for his leaving. And he says this, he, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things. And he will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. The Spirit will come. You will be carried along in the the power and grace of the Spirit to record and capture all that I did and said. It had to be captured. It's the New Testament. It's the fulfillment of all things Old Testament. It had to be captured. The Old Testament demands this new. Peter says in his letters, some twist Paul's letters as they do the other scriptures. Paul says, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. We believe firmly and fully that God has spoken the Old and the New Testaments, that they belong together, that they give to us a fullness of the revelation of himself, of his work and his ways, Words from God do not lie. That reveals his character. What is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. Why he has made us and what he intends to do with us. It reveals his ways in the world, his ways in the lives of people, his work in history. It defines our problem. It proclaims his gospel. The scriptures make us wise to salvation. And to go on from them is to go from bad to worse. Deceived and being deceived. And wide is the road that leads to destruction. God has spoken a word that continues to come to us with power. 
whether it is in the preached word or as you and I in our closet open God's word, it continues to come with power for this reason. The Holy Spirit who inspired these scriptures and made it from beginning to end, every word verbatim, the word of God, that spirit lives, it says, in each one of us. It is His Word, Word and Spirit, the life of the Spirit in us brings the power intended in God's Word to fruitfulness in our lives. They're spiritually discerned, Paul says. And it is a Spirit who works in us to know them and to love them and to experience their power. But because Scripture is God's Word, it is profitable, right? He says it is God-breathed, and therefore it's profitable. It comes to us with authority. It comes to us with purpose, right? What is it profitable for? Aside from, you know, creating worlds and universes, he spoke, and therefore it was. What else is it profitable for? Paul uses the same language of creation when he says that, that as we gaze in, on Christ, that we go from glory to glory, that, that just as he said, let there be light in the darkness, so his face and his message, his gospel, his son has shown into our lives to bring forth with the fiat of creation, a new creation. If scripture is profitable, he says, it's useful, it's beneficial, which is the understatement of the year. Any word that creates universes and raises men from the dead, it's profitable. It's beneficial. Isaiah 55, it's here in your bulletin under the third point. It says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and they do not return there. But what do they do? They water the earth and they make it bring forth and sprout. And he says, this is an image. This is a picture. It's a picture of what? So my word, when it goes forth from my mouth, when it's breathed out, it shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose, that it will water the earth and bring forth and sprout, except for the word is not spoken to the earth, but the hearts and minds. And so it, it waters the soul, it makes the heart fertile, it brings forth fruitfulness in the lives of men. It accomplishes all, he says, that I purpose it. It shall succeed for the thing I sent it. God's word is living and active and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and, and, and uncovering the thoughts and the intentions and the hearts of man before this God with whom we have to do. This word, he says, comes with purpose. He uses these two word pairs. We just touch them quickly, really. One, the first two are positive and a negative, and the second two are negative and a positive. The first two go to what we think and believe. The second two go to how we live. Right? So he speaks to faith in life as the theologians and our documents all speak to the scriptures of final and total authority in all things about faith and life, what you believe and how you live. And he uses these two words. He said it is useful for teaching and is telling the truth, God's truth, men speaking from God in the agency of his spirit. He says it is good for teaching and for reproof, which to reprove someone, to, to correct their thinking to rebuke in the sense of rebuking their thoughts. So it's able to both teach the truth and correct error, right? And where we're going astray, all we like, like sheep are going astray. And so it teaches the truth, it corrects error. And the second one, and it corrects wrong living. And it trains us in righteousness. Corrects where we go astray, and we will, and we do, and our culture is, and often does, go astray in what is right and pleasing to God in the way that we live and are in relationship. 
John Murray there in your bulletin under the fourth point, Murray says this, are we thinking of error and wrong? We cannot do otherwise if we are awake. The waves of unbelieving and anti-Christian thought are constantly breaking upon our shores. My friends, that's the world we live in. Every time you turn on the TV, every time you listen to somebody at work tell you, and every time it is constantly unbelieving, anti-Christian thought constantly breaking upon our shores. And we are deceived and in a sense propagating and deceiving if we are not grounded in his word. And he says this word will will correct wrong thinking and it will correct our wrong living and it will train us in a way of righteousness so that we might become men and women of God. Complete. This is, I, is that something you want? I don't know anybody who beats with a Christian heart that doesn't say, I want to be complete as a man of God, as a woman of God. I, I want to be equipped for every good work at home and at work and at church and in the community. I want to be equipped and shaped as an instrument in the Redeemer's hand for his work, his kingdom, his advancement. It is only through God's word that the man or woman of God is complete, equipped. The word of God in the hands of the Holy Spirit is a powerful and transforming word. We need God to correct our attitudes. I know mine again and again, and I have helpful people in my life that point them out. And by God's grace, do we hear his word we need God to correct our attitudes. To, we need the mind of Christ revealed to us and impressed on our souls. We need God to challenge our bad habits. We need God to straighten out our lives and our priorities. We need to hear his gracious word and his gospel spoken into our lives every day. We need that word on our lips for other people. We need hearts and minds that are prepared and shaped and transformed. Do you feel unprepared? Do you feel like you're not growing? Do you feel incomplete? Do you feel spiritually out of shape? The Old Testament prophets speak of a famine for the word of God. Sometimes it's one of those weird things how you can be in a crowd this size and be lonely. Or how you could live in a, in a land where the word of God is so abundant and be starving. A famine for hearing the word of God. A famine for it being written on our hearts. Shaping our thinking. Shaping our living. Convicting us. Correcting us. Calling us into the paths of righteousness again and again. It is so easy to be hungry in a land of abundance. See, the danger is not that we will reject the word. We're too smart for that. We know better than that. You won't reject the word. You'll tell me it's the word of God. I know you will. The danger isn't that we will reject it. It's more devious. It's more subtle. The word is more, the danger is more that we will simply neglect it. That we are very busy, deceived and being deceived into many things. Martha, you're busy about many, many things. But one thing is needful. Sit down. Listen up. Sit at the feet of Jesus to let him speak him into our souls and into our lives a word that lives and is powerful. Like this is not an abstract thesis that he's talking about. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a pastor of a struggling church in Ephesus. 
right? It's a church in Ephesus is a pagan culture that had long gone on from bad to worse. And and, uh, this culture that he is even talking about as he writes in those words leading up to, you have followed my teaching. You know my life, he says, but I've been persecuted. And anyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ is going to be persecuted. Peter, uh, Timothy, this is what you're experiencing. They're evil people and imposters and they're deceived. And we live in this culture. Paul is writing to a pastor in the midst of a godless culture that is struggling, that is being persecuted, that is wrestling with these, the culture saying, that's not right, that's mean, that's unloving. You shouldn't say things like that. You shouldn't say people ought to live like that. You shouldn't say that's true. That might be true for you. You should say this is true for them. And, and the culture and the waves of unbelieving and unchristian thought is crashing upon us. And Paul, in the midst of this culture, says, Timothy, Continue, abide, remain in the word. It saves us through the word of Christ again and again and again. If God has spoken by his spirit, how can we afford not to listen? We'll spend the next few weeks talking more of God's word, but I would leave you just wrestling with and thinking with this thought. God has spoken. Can we afford not to listen? Can we afford to hunger and thirst for anything else before we hunger and thirst for this? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds and is breathed out from the mouth of God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are not silent, that you are a God who speaks and who has spoken. You have told us who you are. You have revealed yourself to us in power. We see you high and lifted up in your holiness, in your glory, in your perfection. We see who you are and you have called us and created us in your own image and recreating us in Christ again in that image, calling us to be shaped and formed by the word of this uncreated, holy, glorious God. Father, we like sheep keep going astray. Have mercy. Speak again into our lives by the power of your word. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.